Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. We're going to dive into this topic, and uh, we're going to be all over the place in terms of the scripture today, because we're going to be talking about Sabbath rest. Um, and it's going to require us to go to multiple passages today. Um, and I just felt that, man, this is just an appropriate topic for us to come to as we start this new year, Sabbath and rest. Um, and it's just great. So Happy New Year, everyone. Um, last month, I came uh, before Christmas, I came across a pretty disturbing article. It told the story of this uh, young, <clears throat> young woman, 24 years old, who's uh, in, in Indonesia, who's a copywriter. And uh, she had literally worked herself to death um, and uh, had died from exhaustion. And it just reminded me of another story that I heard years ago, like about 2005, of, of a young man. Um, some of you are well aware that, you know, in this day and age, like video games and online gaming are, are, uh, are a big thing, you know, uh, especially for young people. But there was this uh, 28-year-old gentleman in South Korea that had uh, played this game called StarCraft for 50 straight hours, and uh, nearly 50 straight hours, and would just take breaks to take, take a nap or go to the restroom. But, he, um, you know, there's these, there's these uh, rooms with computers, and you can pay. It's really cheap. You can pay a couple dollars to, to sit at a machine and play this game. And uh, after 50 hours, he literally collapsed and died. And after the, they had done the autopsy, he died from heart failure stemming from exhaustion. It's, I think it's easy for us to say, like, oh, we have nothing in common with those people. Or it's easy maybe for us to even, like, read stories like that, and it's like, oh, you know, maybe we could even have a, have a little, like, you know, judge, uh, judgment on, on our part. But I think the irony for me is that the more I learn about myself, the more I learn that I'm too suffering from, from the same things. Christians in America, or just Americans in general, are, are tired or stressed out. You know, I know surveys are surveys, but right, they're saying eight and ten Americans are stressed out in their workplace. And they were saying probably the least stressed out group of people in our culture is the baby boomers, whereas you know everyone younger is, is you know is, is is very stressed out. And with all this, it got me thinking about the parable of the sower. We all know that Jesus is one of Jesus' most popular parables. And he talks about different soils which represent the conditions of our hearts and how the heart responds when it hears the word of God. And not going to get into that, but I, wanted, I just wanted to look at uh, Matthew 13, verse 22. And I wanted us to focus on the, the heart, that, uh, the thorns that uh, represent the heart. And it says here in Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Did you catch that? What choked the word? It was the cares of this world and the deceitfulness deceitfulness of riches. And in the end, what happened? It proved to be unfruitful. The love of this world and riches. It's so interesting that these soils, right, majority of the soils were responsive initially to the word of God. But here we have one that 
basically the, the, the two reasons, the, the, the two simple reasons is love this world and riches. And if you don't struggle with that as a Christian in America, I'm impressed. And I'm not saying the other soils aren't represented here. I just think that many of us fall into this category and we understand the challenges. And why? Why ultimately? And a simple answer to that was because we, so many people haven't found genuine rest. Because true rest is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. But everyone is in a quest searching for this rest. It's, it's, it, I think the irony of the story of God is that right, ever since the fall, we've always been trying to go back to that state. Right? We're trying to find that state of bliss and, and satisfaction. We're all desiring and seeking that. But the problem with you and I is we tend to look in the wrong places for that rest. I mean, even, even seasoned Christians, and I respect and admire all the saints that have gone before me, especially those that have run for long seasons, and some of you are here in this room. But I've never met, never have met a mature saint that told me that they had all this figured out or that the challenges had ended. Does the command of Jesus to take up your cross end when you're 50? No, not as far as I know. We all face our challenges. We all fail at some point. But is there anyone in this room that can confidently raise your hand and say, yep, nailed it? Anybody? Cares of this world? Deceitfulness of riches? No effect on me. Persecution? Faithful all the time. My heart? always receives the word of God. I, it, it, never, it never goes void. Never turn a deaf ear to the word of God. Can anyone say that? And what I want to do is, is put us all on this level playing field. We, we, we all have these challenges as disciples of Jesus Christ. St. Augustine famously sa- said, our heart is restless until it rests in you. And the beautiful thing of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And this is really important for us to know because the answer has always been, will always be, right now as well, is Jesus. And I don't mean to give you a cliche like Sunday school answer, Jesus, but he is the answer. He is where you and I will find rest. And it's, just not, it's not just for the, unbelie- for the non-believer. This is for the believer and this is one of the themes that I clearly see all throughout the scripture, you know, especially Second Peter. Even Peter in his old age prayed that the believers would grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, that the believers would know him more and more and more. In other words, that they would, they would just grow in this depth of relationship with Jesus Christ. And with all that said, God has given us this great blessing of rest. And it's that deep spiritual rest that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, his son. But as you and I both know, it's a battle. And as we tackle this topic of rest, we're going to look at the Sabbath. We're going to learn that the Sabbath teaches a lot about ourselves, (laughs) about who God is, and also teaches a lot about even time management. And as believers, we're to honor the Lord on how we spend our time outside of work because it's also an apologetic. We're to be a city on a hill, right? We're to be salt and light as a community, so we're to show even the non-believing community, this is how believers spend their time outside of work as well. This is how we honor God as well. 
And I know that uh, many of us stand on different sides of the topic. Maybe some of you have grown up in, you know, some uh, churches where, like, you know, I mean, like, Sunday was, I mean, this is the Lord's day. We don't spend any money. We drive less than 10 miles on this day. And maybe you had some of that, and maybe some of you didn't. Maybe it was just a, hey, it's just a day that we get together. Regardless of your, um, of your outlook, and, you know, we have even different denominations that represent their beliefs, like Seventh-day Adventists still, um, you know, still celebrate, you know, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Um, we have Christian called Sabbatarians that, you know, I mean, Sunday is the Lord's Day, the day that, you know, he, he resurrected, and that's a day the, the believers in the New Testament gather. That's a day we're going to gather. And I'm not here to get into that debate, but I'm here to really get to, the, get to the teaching of the Sabbath and see what is it that we can extract and that's applicable to us today. So regardless of where you stand, don't want to do a debate, but let's first go to the Old Testament to get an overview of the Sabbath. The first mention of Sabbath as law is in Exodus chapter 16. And then shortly after, it's listed in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Its origin is in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, but it's not given as a commandment there in Genesis to observe. So with that, let's all uh, go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And this is the fourth commandment here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So some just key points right there. We see here that the Israelites were to remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath means to rest. It also could mean cease to work. They were to remember this rest day. They were also to keep it holy. It was to be a special day. It was, it was different from the other days in that there was to be even more of a focus on God-centered rest versus aimless rest. And there's a pattern as well as we see. It's one out of every seven was to be a Sabbath day. In other words, uh, we're not going to be legalistic here, but I think the point for us as believers in the New Testament is that it's a regular part of your, of your rhythm of life. And it's not a case for laziness. God had commanded the Israelites to do all of their work in six days and to rest one, to keep one day special. And if you, you know, just want to picture this, it was like a boundary. It was a line. And the command is grounded in who God is and what he's done. Because we look at God himself, and we're going to look at this Genesis passage as well. God himself finished his work in six days and rested on one. And notice, too, that this was not a suggestion, right? It was, I mean, for the Israelite, it was a, it was a commandment. There was no, like, compromising, no fudging. No one was to do work. Everyone was to observe the Sabbath. And then we look at God. We're going to look at this passage, Genesis 2. One of the things is after God creates, right, he rested. But one of the things that we can extract from Genesis 131 is that after he had finished working and creating everything, he stood back. He looked at everything he had made. And do you remember what he said? It's good. It's good. So what we see there is a sense of great enjoyment in what he's made. You know, like, man, this is awesome. This is everything I made. It's good. Genesis 2, 2 to 3 reads this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. 
And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay, God did not rest because he was tired, all right? He does not tire, okay? But we see here that the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And that's key to know that the Lord blessed the Sabbath because the text doesn't say the Lord cursed the day, right? The Lord blessed the day. The Sabbath is a blessed and holy day. The Israelites were to find great blessing and joy in its observance. It was to be a reminder that blessing comes in focusing attention on God and not the pursuit of career and things. In doing so, there would be a blessing. It was a day also of of recognition. As God stood back and enjoyed his creation and said, it's all good, he desires, too, that man rest and stand back and acknowledge the one who made it all. So the verses above here in Exodus and Genesis had to do with imitating God's rest after creation. But there's also another motivation listed in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Here in Deuteronomy 5, it's another listing of the Ten Commandments. And there's something also uh, added to the Sabbath commandment. Look at verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the motivation of the Sabbath here, of Sabbath rest, uh, Sabbath rest here is Israel's liberation from slavery. So God is mighty to save. And we're, you know, they were to acknowledge we're here because of you, God. You saved us. It's a picture of the grace of God. And the people were to also remember and acknowledge that. God, you are the one that delivered us. It was because of your hand your outstretched arm, that, that, that we're able to be here. The Sabbath was also a sign for Israel. It was to be a special sign. Exodus 31, 12 through 17. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on a Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day... He rested and was what? Refreshed. Did you see that in verse 13? It was to be a sign between God and the Israelites that they would know that they would know every Sabbath that came, it would be this acknowledgement and a sign for them that they would know that it's the Lord that sanctifies them. It's all God. It's him that created. It's him that delivered them out of Egypt. It's him that sanctifies them. And they are to simply stand back and rest in that fact. And in so doing, were they to be burdened? No, in doing that, they were to be what? Refreshed. And it was also to be a day of great delight. Remember, God blessed the day, right? Do you notice that? When God blesses something, is that a good thing? If you believe that's a good thing, say amen. Amen, right? When God blessed the land, what happened to the land? 
It produced, it produced crops. When God blessed people in the Bible, they were blessed. It was a good thing. So when God blesses a day, it's a good thing. And Isaiah 58 says, it's for your delight. It's for your enjoyment, this Sabbath. But the challenge, brothers and sisters, is that many of us find the Sabbath burdensome. We see here that God's intent of the Sabbath was for his glory and our joy as well. We were to find great satisfaction in remembering it regularly. The Sabbath is a gracious gift. So a question I have for everyone, if you could ponder on this, is what do you think about the Sabbath? Is it more of a blessing than a curse for you? And I think that many people find the Sabbath to be burdensome because of misplaced affections. Augustine talks about this uh, in, his, in his book, Confessions, and he calls them misplaced loves. And to sum up that whole section, this is, this is it in one sentence. We tend to love the wrong things or love the right things in the wrong way. Perhaps for many, the Sabbath is burdensome or more like a curse because perhaps people enjoy something more other than God. And, you know, for, for us, you know, for many men in America, me included, you know, there's always that conflict of sports, right, as well. It could be a potential thing that takes our gaze away from God to another thing. And God is simply getting in the way of their enjoyment. John Piper explains, Therefore, inevitably, people whose hearts are set more on the pleasures of the world than on the enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath command as a burden, not a blessing. This is what John says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The measure of your love for God is a measure of the joy you get in focusing on him on the day of rest. For most people, the Sabbath command is really a demand to repent. It invites us to enjoy what we don't enjoy and therefore shows us the evil of, shows us the evil of our hearts and our need to repent and be changed. So with that said, it's here that we come to the New Testament now. And we have to come to the teaching of Jesus. And what you have to love about Jesus is Jesus comes in and he, and he clears everything up for us and he definitely does. He redefines the Sabbath because at that point in, in history, the, the Pharisees had distorted the purpose of the Sabbath. In fact, so much so that rabbinical tradition at this point, there were like 39 categories of activities that you could not do on the Sabbath. How stressful is that? At the same time, Jesus not only redefined the Sabbath, he also explained its clear intent as well. And this is in Mark 2, 23 to 28. It says here, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said, that, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. We don't have time to like dig into all that, but this is so important because Jesus has reminded us all that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made for man's good and enjoyment. And he's saying, look, Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. 
I'm going to tell you how this works. I'm the builder of this house. I understand it. And I have authority to do so. So he defines and he owns its definition. And one of the things you'll notice is Jesus often had points of contention with the Pharisees, right? And typically he had, he had these confrontations on what day? The Sabbath. And later, if you, if you flip a page and you go to Mark chapter 3, we'll see that Jesus did something that really, I mean, it really just made them angry. Because what did he do? He healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And a profound question, is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? So what we see here is why did the Pharisees have such a difficult time grasping this? Because it says after that, that that's when they tried to gather and conspire to kill him. They were furious. He had violated their Sabbath belief. But they didn't understand the law of love. Galatians 5.14, Paul echoes Jesus' words and he writes, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Sabbath was made for man, for man's enjoyment and for the good of man. Its intent wasn't to make people miserable. Its intent wasn't that the Sabbath would be a burden or, or cumbersome to you or this inconvenience to your life. It was meant so that you could do good. Jesus was showing it's a good thing to do good on the Sabbath. It's a good thing to have margin in your life so you're able to help people and you're able to live this law of love out. Just as Christ loved you, so you're able to love others and go and, and, and be crazy about it. Go love others in a radical way just as I've loved you is what Jesus is telling us as well. And our Sabbath is to be also used for that as well. So what does it mean for us now? Some principles that we can extract from the Old Testament. Right? And we have to be very cautious about being legalistic. And we're going to talk a little more about that here in a few minutes. But like for the Old Testament Jew, the Israelite, it was to be a day of remembrance. So for today, when we come and we gather, we are to also have a time of remembrance. We're to remember. We're to remember, um, we're to remember the Creator God. We're to remember that uh, it's Jesus that saved us, that has redeemed us, that has paid the full penalty of sin to be a sign as well today that we would understand that it's through Jesus Christ that we're sanctified every day, day in and day out. And it should be a time in which you and I draw a, la- a line in our lives and we, 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 we give a special time. It's also to be a day full of good works and mercy. It's not to be a day where you just said, you know what, I only drive 10 miles and you see someone that uh, is in need of help, but you're like, if I help them, I'm going to be 10.2 miles. I can't do it. That's when the Sabbath becomes burdensome and you're missing the whole point. It's not a day of rules and rigidness. And if it is for you, you need to do a heart check. You see, the danger is that for some, it becomes this rigid thing that doesn't provide rest. The Pharisees did not have, even in all their observance, they never found that rest. And for so many people, that's, that's the case today. Running ragged, running so busy, pedal to the metal, still searching for something, even as Christians, but yet we keep going and going and going, and there's really little margin in our life. It 
And for some of us, the Sabbath is not, a, is not a good thing because we've just added so much to it or we approach the Sabbath with a workspace mentality. You'll be surprised at how many people come to church because of a guilty conscience. But the Sabbath is to be a gospel-saturated day. Think about that. You and I have been given Jesus' righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. It's called the divine exchange. Jesus, take all my junk and all the crap that I've done in my life, and in exchange through faith, you give me your perfect status, so that, and you cover me with your blood, so that now when I stand before the throne of God, I stand as someone that's justified and innocent, not guilty and condemned. There's a lot to ponder there, isn't there? There's a lot to be grateful for there. So on these days, our hearts should well up. It should be a gospel-saturated moment in which we're just pondering on everything that we have in Jesus Christ. Every nanosecond of the day, you and I have something to be thankful for because his, new, his, his mercies are new, like every moment. It's like even, even for, your, for your future mistakes, guess what? Christ's righteousness is good enough. For your past failures, my past failures, his righteousness is good enough. It's amazing to me. Let us all be reminded that the rest that the scripture writes, speaks of, is spiritual. For example, uh, we're going to look at Hebrews real quick, chapter 3 and 4. And one of the things that you'll see is um, um, the Sabbath is a biblical motif for salvation in, in Hebrews. That this is, this is the picture of, of our ultimate rest. And then what, what the writer is going to show us too is that this rest, obtaining this rest, is a matter of unbelief and belief. Not of doing and not doing. It's a matter of belief and unbelief. Because we see that the rite of Hebrews ties faith and rest. For the Old Testament Israelite, rest was tied to the inheritance of the land. And this is what the writer of Hebrews fleshes out. He's going to show us that faith was always the means. Just as it was then, so it is now. And a theme of Hebrews, I would think um, an appropriate theme song to Hebrews is, how many of you guys know that song, famous song uh, by Journey, Don't Stop Believing? Has anyone ever heard of that song? Is there... Yeah, okay. You guys too embarrassed to raise your hand? No? Okay, I'm not. I know that song. That's like the theme song of Hebrews. Don't stop believing, all right? <laughs> um, and don't stop believing what? That we're to rest and remember upon God's finished work through Jesus Christ on our behalf. That we're not to ever stop believing that. <laughs> we're to continually believe that every day. And there's going to come moments in, in, in our lives in which we fail to not believe that. And that's when we find ourselves in, the, in those places, in those gutters of life. So it's always been a matter of belief and unbelief. Because you and I are to rest in what Jesus has done on our behalf. He alone has secured our salvation. He's made that payment once for all. It's good, right? Hebrews 4, 8 through 10. There's so much there. You're, you, you guys can study this on your own, but just here to make a point. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So even for the Old Testament uh, writer, I mean, even for the Old Testament believer, I mean, Hebrews is, is drawing a lot of bridges for us here in the New Testament. I mean, all of this was, was a foreshadowing of greater things to come. 
It wasn't Joshua that was going to lead them to the promise that was going to give them the ultimate rest. He's, the writer of Hebrews is now talking about this ultimate rest that comes through Jesus Christ. And do you know why the Israelites were unable to enter God's rest at the end of chapter 3? Why do you think? It's one word. What is it? Is it because they didn't work hard enough? No, it's, it says because of unbelief. They were not able to enter God's rest because of unbelief. And it says here that we see this principle from the Sabbath, that whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works. When you and I, we come to Christ and we come to the end of ourselves, we are saying, I don't believe it's in what I do anymore. In all this striving, in all this endless toil and ceasing, it's, it's not in that, Lord. And, and how often do you and I have to come before God and say, like, Lord, forgive me. I just, like the pattern of my life, it's like I've been living like a legalist that's believed in this false gospel that in, in some way I'm in charge of my salvation or I add something to it. Where God is just asking us, no, stand back, rest and remember and believe. Believe that it's all me. We've entered that rest through faith, or we fail to because we depend on our work. And the battle goes on. Let's give some guidance for us today then. With uh, this talk on on the Sabbath, I know that um, we could easily fall into legalism. Um, Me challenging you to, to grab principles from the Sabbath, I don't feel is legalism. I feel I can do that from the Scriptures. But if I were to tell you right now that, okay, um, you know, because I've chosen uh, to drive 15 miles um, on Sundays, and that's it, um, and if you don't do that, God's not going to love you, that's, that's, that's an example of legalism, all right? Um, the, the scriptures, I love that the scriptures, even though we have this immense amount of freedom in Christ, he, the scriptures also give us guidance on how we're to use that freedom. Look at Romans 14, 5 through 6. He writes... Um, Paul writes, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. This is the key. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So the challenge here for all of us as believers today, with this immense amount of freedom that you have in Christ, have each of you been fully convinced in your own mind? Have you fleshed this out? Is this something that you've thought through? If you're part of a family, have you guys sat down and said, all right, we need to have a family huddle and we need to work this out right now? If you're just husband and wife, have you guys sat down together and so forth and been fully convinced in your, have you developed your own convictions regarding margin and Sabbath rest in your life? Because Paul is saying, we, we got to do this. You have to develop these convictions on your own. And never are we to use our our freedom for the downfall of another person, but we're to think through these issues. What about in your personal scheduling? Are there, is there this regular rhythm in your life in which there is this opportunity that that you just, you know, there is like a more of a focus, um, that opportunity to focus on God, whether it's as a family, whether it's uh, on your own. Is there like a regular rhythm of your day in which you're integrating these principles? And let us also remember Paul's words in Colossians 2, 16 through 17. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you 
in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, let us not, let us remember that all of everything in the Old Testament, all right, was a shadow of the greatest substance to come, which is Jesus Christ. And as we develop our own convictions, let's keep them there. Let's not impose them on others, all right? Because when you do that, that's, that's another example of legalism. It's like the challenge that we are to develop our own convictions, and we can share our convictions, but we're not to judge others by our standards because of the immense amount of freedom we have in Christ. For example, I have some brothers and sisters. I mean, they gather on Saturday nights, and they gather as a body under qualified leadership as, as, as a congregation on Saturday nights. Why? Not just, not just for no purpose because everybody wants to, you know, do whatever they want on Sunday. It's no, on Sunday mornings they want to reach their neighborhood. So they're like, how can we be faithful to this principle? We'll gather, we can gather Saturday, Saturday night and Sunday, and Sunday morning we're, you know, we're going to reach our neighborhood. And for me to say, dude, I don't believe that, you're, you're in sin, would be foolish of me. But yet you and I are easy to, to kind of jump to that kind of trigger because we're like, hey, you know, you're not doing what we're, what, what, what we're doing. Um, we can have the praise team come up now. But in closing, some, some challenges then. I don't believe it's a sin to work on a Sunday. But I do believe that if you are in this perpetual state of always working and checking email and doing and doing and doing, that you need a serious heart check. That there's something there. And that there's, it's a matter of belief and unbelief. What if you're a single mother or a single parent working two jobs and there's, just no, like, there's no possibility of, of margin in your life? I know that's a real issue. What if, uh, what if you're, you know, you're, you're a med student, you just start an internship and you have to work 90 hours, I mean, just because this is the way it is right now. God understands, of course. And there are like seasons of our lives in which we're just busy, right? For even, uh, you know, whether you're, um, whatever, working in a certain profession, maybe, maybe you're an accountant and you have a busy, busy time of year, right? There, there's, there's a rhythm. But the principle would be is, are you integrating times in which, there is some margin in which you can create uh, some windows of opportunity. And if you're a single parent unable to do that, this is a challenge to the community of God. This is where the community of God, the family of God, needs to come in and needs to look at that as an opportunity to do good and to do works of mercy so that others can also have, have a time of rest, be a, of, of reflection. A friend of mine in his church, for example, um, so often we've tied our small group involvement to like, you know what, if you make it to this once a week gathering, you're good. But if you don't make it, sorry, you missed out. And I know that we don't intentionally say that, but, but the, by the way we structure things, sometimes that's the message we send off. So I uh, had a friend that had this missional community they were leading, and they had this doctor who was just interning, working a crazy amount of hours. And he had happened to come one night, and he just said, you know what, this is the last time I'm going to be able to make it because there's this, it's a physical impossibility for, for, for me to be able to come here. But, you know, I love you guys and would want to be part of this uh, community. So the leader was like, man, how can we, you know, this is a real issue. How can we reach out to this doctor? And he challenged his group. And so two men from the group said, you know what? We're going to make it part of our regular rhythm where we're going to go to his hospital and we're just going to, we're going to be his brothers. And they did that for two years. And it was for a season, right? But, I mean, they lived out this law of love. How can we, how can we do this? Another story is, uh, I remember uh, this missional community ministering to this single mother who was a nurse, was a sole breadwinner for their family. 
wanted to be involved in this community, but just couldn't with, with time constraints, working a lot of hours on her shifts. So this whole community said, you know what? We're just going to center our life around her work. So our, you know what? Our, our missional component here is her work is going to become our missional. So what, what would they do? They, would, um, they, they went to the hospital, visited. They got to know the staff. They would, um, they would make lunches. They would decorate the room and, and write thank you cards for the nurses. And, and uh, they just they began to do life together. And, you know, that's the prayer too is that remembering that as we talk about the Sabbath, that this was, this was given to the community. It was to be a holy convocation in the assembly. And we're to, think of, uh, we're to think of others and being guided by this liberty and law of love in Christ. And I pray that the Sabbath and the rest that comes through it would be joy to you, right? Because Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Um, just some practical ideas for you. Um, and I grabbed this from a pastor by the name of Tim Keller in New York, and here's some guidelines. One, take some time for sheer inactivity. Most people need some time every week that's unplanned and unstructured in which you do whatever you feel like doing. And he correlates this to Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, when uh, the, 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 the land would lie fallow and grow whatever it grew. The soil rested so over-farming would not deplete its nutrients and destroy its ability to keep producing. And we need, we need that. We need some of that just unscheduled time, margin in our lives. Um, how about some um, a, a vocational activity, something that you take pleasure in? And it's okay. It's okay to go out and enjoy God's creation on a hike. And do it. If that's something you take pleasure in, do it. And schedule time, schedule time for it. We also need to schedule time for um, contemplative rest, prayer, and worship. Because if our rest comes in abiding in Christ, you know, we, we're to spend time with him. And we're to be recharged by that. We need some recreational rest. You know, be careful that you choose recreation that actually refreshes you. And we also need aesthetic rest. Times, like I said, where you can enjoy God's uh, creation, maybe even music dramas or whatever you, whatever you would like. And also consider whether you're an introvert or extrovert. Some people recharge by withdrawing, right? Like they just need their, their own space. Uh, extroverts like recharge by, um, you know, by being with people. Like find out how you're wired. And self-assess. And don't necessarily count family time as Sabbath time. Do a realistic self-assessment of family time and how it affects you. We know that family time is important, but parents need to be very careful that they don't let all of their regular Sabbath time be taken up with parental responsibilities. I mean, keeping all things in balance may be a virtual impossibility for you, especially if you have young children. But ask the Lord (laughs) and honor both micro and macro rhythms in your seasons of rest. That maybe you are in a season of, of just extreme busyness right now and you're not maybe really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Don't keep saying like, you know, don't, give, don't keep giving that as an excuse, like, oh, I'm just in another season of busyness, okay? Maybe you are. Maybe grab a friend or a brother or a sister in your life and say, look, this is just going to be a season of life, and I just, just need you to, you know, hold me accountable to that. And make sure it doesn't la- that season doesn't last forever. Amen? Remember, so God made the Sabbath for our good, and I pray that you would fi- find great delight and enjoyment 
and that uh, you would leave and find ways in which you can be refreshed as you enjoy him, as you enjoy his creation, as you enjoy the company of fellow believers, and as you go on mission. Let's pray. Father, I know that's just a lot of information, but um, God, I'm just so... I'm personally even convicted myself, God. I just know that um, this topic always comes with challenges. We all have them, every single one of us in this room. And God, we want to thank you first that, um, again, that you're a merciful high priest that meets us, meets us where we're at. And God, we do have a desire that we want to honor you in the way we schedule our lives. So, Father, help us. We know that um, your word says that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should simply ask. And we have, we have the source of all wisdom in you. So we're asking that your Holy Spirit guide us in the, in the way we schedule our time and in the way we schedule our times with you and the way we schedule our times with our families. God, I pray for those that have not even taken a vacation for a long time. Pray that they would make it a priority to just not merely vacation to vacation, but even just if there's an opportunity just to seize it and to take their family and to use it as a time of just drawing closer to you and drawing closer to each other. I pray for those that are just in an extreme busy season of life. Maybe it's just unavoidable at this time. I pray that you would encourage them. And I pray that this is a season that um, would be coming to an end eventually. But I'm also praying that there would be just this intentional like drawing of a boundary as well. So, God, thank you that you're so patient with us. Draw us closer to you. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.